not going to lie to you. This has been a difficult month for me. The World Series is just around the corner. And once again, the Yankees have proven to me that they're the, the best mediocre team that money can buy. On top of that, my other favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys, are not starting off very well either under the quarterbacking of Tony Romo. But, you know, I know that you folks haven't come here to hear me talk about an overrated football thrower. I know you've come here to learn about the parable of the sower. Didn't even see that coming, did you? Yeah, that's right. I'm that smooth, aren't I? <laughs> You know, we all have people we know, don't we? People who are resistant to the gospel, maybe family or friends or co-workers or, or even people who seem to be very active Christians and vibrant Christians, and then one day they just walk away from the faith. I mean, I know, I, I know people like that. I mean, I have family members, some who uh, just always politely reject the gospel and some who are outwardly hostile towards it. I, I had a friend in seminary who I... Uh, you know, sat in with a bunch of classes with, who is now a confessed atheist. And stories like this, they perplex us and they hurt our hearts, right? I mean, we've all asked questions like these. You know, how could he be raised in such a strong Christian home and not believe the gospel? I mean, she seemed to be on fire for the Lord. What happened? Or, or maybe you've asked this one at a time or two, you know, what's it going to take to soften their hearts? You know, we're looking at the parable of the sower this morning, and if you want to turn there, it's Matthew 13. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 9 and then skip over to 18 to 23. And as we get ready to look at that, it might comfort you to know that the disciples probably wrestled with some of the same questions. I mean, just to refresh our memories from the last couple of weeks, the gloves are off now, right, between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees accused the disciples of sinning because they plucked and ate grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus asserts and calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees accused Jesus of working on the Sabbath because he healed a man with a withered hand. And then they conspire about how they might destroy him. Jesus heals a blind and a mute man who is demonically oppressed. And the Pharisees accuse him of healing by the power of Satan. And then Jesus condemns them for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I mean, even after all this, the Pharisees asked for a sign. What chutzpah, right? If you don't spit when you say that word, you have not pronounced it correctly. Can I just say that? They asked for a sign, and Jesus calls them a wicked and adulterous generation, saying that the men of all people, the men of Nineveh in Jonah's time, will be their judges on the last day because they repented. I mean, can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples right now? I mean, here you are. I mean, wouldn't you be confused and perplexed, right? I mean, here they are. They're following Jesus, this Nazarene carpenter, the one who's, who's saying that he's the fulfillment of the prophets, that he's the long-awaited Messiah, and that he's come to establish and, and inaugurate his messianic kingdom here on earth. I mean, Jesus, the one who's healing diseases and sending demons packing. I mean, everyone's asking, could this be the son of David? It's Jesus, but their own religious leaders have flat out rejected him. 
I mean, wouldn't this make you second-guess yourself? Wouldn't that give you pause? I mean, the Pharisees, they're the religious experts, right? They're the authorities. They know, they know the law and the prophets like the back of their hand. And if anyone should be able to recognize and welcome the Messiah, the King, it should be them, right? But they've rejected him. And they haven't just dismissed Jesus. They're actually seeking ways now to destroy him. I mean, if you're the disciples, the very guy that you've given everything up to follow is number one, public enemy number one on the list of your respected religious leaders. So just like us, they had to be wrestling with their own questions, right, at this point. I mean, questions like, Jesus, what, what's going on here? You know, well, you're the Messiah, right? I mean, why are the very ones, the Pharisees, the ones that should be rolling out the red carpet for you and cheering you on, why do they want your head on a platter, Jesus? And perhaps aware of these things, Jesus addresses the hostility and the rejection that he's been facing. And he uses the parable of the sower to explain, to encourage, and to give a warning. So please, turn to Matthew 13 and give your reverent attention to the reading of God's Word. Matthew 13, verses 1-9, through 9, and then 18-23. through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat behind the, beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so they got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then jumping to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and approves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Please pray with me. Father, I, uh, I thank you for this opportunity to preach from your word. I'm, I'm always struck with the weightiness of, of what's going on right now. And I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word, that nothing would come out of my mouth that is not in line with your scriptures. I pray that now even the Holy Spirit would be equipping me for this task. And Father, I pray for all of us. I pray for our hearts that you would soften them, that you would make them receptive to what your word has to say to us this morning. And I pray for all of us that it wouldn't just be more accumulated head knowledge, but that you would use it to change us change our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So the text begins by telling us that that same day Jesus went out. And that's Matthew's way of reminding us that what's, what Jesus is about to say is flowing from these heated exchanges that have already taken place, right? And Jesus comes out, he sits by the sea, and he begins to teach, and he sits down because that's the traditional posture of a rabbi who's teaching. He sits down, and the crowds are so large, he's forced to get in the boat and kind of go off the shore a little bit in order to teach. And then the text says that it begins to teach them in parables. I have to tell you, there have been many, many books and articles have written about parables. And thankfully, this is one time when I get to punt something to him. He's going to be handling parables next week, so we're not going to go into, into parables with much detail. But realize that parables are not just cute little stories. Okay, They're not just um, folksy conveyors of kingdom truth. Parables are Holy Spirit winnowing for us. They're winnowing force to work in the tension of God's sovereignty and our human responsibility, and they're used to separate those who are in the kingdom and those who are not in the kingdom. Jesus begins teaching in parables by telling the parable of the sower. Now, the details of this parable would not have been puzzling to his listeners. They lived in an agricultural society, um, and so they would have known all about farmers sowing seed and fields and things like that. But what they didn't get was what this had to do with anything, right? I mean, we, we see in, um, later on in this chapter that even Jesus' 12 disciples didn't get it. Okay, in verse 10 through 17, they're perplexed, and they ask Jesus, why are you teaching in parable? And then in Mark 4, in his account of, of this parable, he highlights the fact that the 12 didn't get the meaning of the parable in, in the sense of what is the spiritual truth you're trying to convey. Now, before you're too, too harsh on them, again, put yourself in the disciples' sandals, okay? I mean, from their perspective, Jesus, now is the time for an explanation, right? Now is the time for clarity, and you're speaking in parables. You know, we're expecting to hear about the kingdom, and you're talking farming, okay? Jesus, of course we have ears to hear, but quite frankly, you're not making a whole lot of sense right now. So Jesus explains it to them in verses 18 through 23. And this is what we're going to zoom in on for the most part this morning. And there are three things I'd like you to consider as we do that. The first is listening to the sower king. The second is spreading the kingdom seed. And the third is possessing kingdom soil. So the first question I have for us is, are you listening to the sower king? You know, one thing to point out here is that the sower in the parable, you know, represents Jesus himself. I mean, the context implies this, but also in verses 36 through 43 later on in the chapter, they also support this because as Jesus is giving his explanation of the parable of the weeds, he refers to himself by saying that the sower of the good seed is the son of man, which is Jesus. So Jesus, the sower represents Jesus. And another thing that we should mention is that the seeds that Jesus is sowing as a sower is the word of the kingdom. And his seeds are his message of the kingdom, or as Matthew calls it in other places, the gospel of the kingdom. And what is that message? That Messiah has finally come to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth. That Jesus is that Messiah. That all people must repent of their sins and turn and follow the king. And that those who don't will face the judgment of the king. You see, this parable 
Like I said, it isn't just this folksy story about farming and harvesting grain. It's an explanation of why people reject Jesus the King. And it all comes down to the condition of your heart, your spiritual soil. It's terrible. It's an exhortation and it's a warning. It's an exhortation to examine the soul of your heart and a warning to make sure that you have good soil so the seed of the kingdom can grow and bear fruit. In the parable, there are four kinds of soils, but there are really only two kinds of people. There are those who have true faith in Christ and are in the kingdom, and there are those who don't and are not, despite appearances. You see, if your heart has bad soil and you ignore or reject the seed of Jesus the sower, then you reject his kingdom. And if you reject his kingdom and his kingdom message, you not only reject Jesus the sower, but you reject Jesus the king. And if you do that, you are left without hope in this world or the next. See, Jesus is the sower king because he is Messiah. And Matthew and Jesus through the book of Matthew constantly confronts us with this and asserts this that Jesus is Messiah. He is the one that the prophets prophesied about. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah who has come to be crushed for our iniquities and pierced for our transgressions. He is the promised heir of David, the one who will inaugurate God's kingdom on earth, who will sit on the throne forever. He is King Jesus, and he is the one for whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, whether they acknowledge that in the here and now or not. See, this is why Jesus ends the telling of this parable with he who has ears, let him hear. Okay? He is admonishing his listeners to both understand and also heed his words. He means business because rejecting the king and rejecting his kingdom can have eternal consequences. So are you listening to the words of the sower king this morning? See, I, I know, I know that some of you may have already checked out at this point. My, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, "No, I've read this parable a dozen times. I don't know how many sermons I've heard on this." Or, or maybe you're sitting there and you say, "You know, Jesus is talking to unbelievers. What has this got to do with me?" Or there might be some of you who are just thinking, "You know, Tom, would you just leave me alone? You know, I'm just here to be with my family." Or, or maybe I'm just here because my kids like the youth group. Just back off, okay? Here's, here's the reality, my friends. Some of you are here today, and you may be hostile to Jesus and the gospel. Or you may be just apathetic to what Jesus has to say, and especially to what I have to say. Or you may know the truth. You've heard it over and over again, but you just don't make that commitment to Christ. Or there are some people who are here today who may think that you're Christians, and maybe the reality is, is that you're really not. See, now is the time for you to listen. For how you respond in the next 30 minutes or so could have eternal consequences. So I ask you, will you listen to the words of Jesus, the sower king? Now, for those of you who have, for those of you who are truly believers, 
there's another question I, I want to talk about, and that is, are you spreading the kingdom seed? If you're being fruitful for the kingdom, includes us being used to recruit other kingdom citizens, right? I mean, and we already know some of the reasons why we should be motivated to do that. I mean, first of all, we've been commanded to, right? I mean, none, none of us are exempt from the Great Commission. We all are called to obey it and to, to evangelize. I mean, the second reason is because our hearts should be stirred by the reality that for those apart from Christ, they face eternal punishment. And most of all, we should be overcome by the grace and the mercy that has been showered upon us in Jesus Christ so that we are people who can't help but say, how could we keep this glorious good news to ourselves? And we all know these things. And yet we still find ourselves hesitating to sow kingdom seeds like our sower can, right? Thankfully, our, our text, text this morning provides some per- further encouragement for us. I mean, for one thing to consider is that all kingdom seeds are good and sufficient seeds. You see, the message of the kingdom is not our message. We come in the name of Jesus, our sower king, and we're sharing his message, God's message, that salvation can be found in Jesus Christ, that good news. And that kingdom seed has not been created by us, so it's not defective or faulty. So we can rest in knowing that our efforts are never fruitless, that our sowing always accomplishes God's Sovereign will. I mean, consider Isaiah 55, 10-11, which says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If we be encouraged that regardless of the response that we get from someone, whether there's a lack of response or whether there's a hostile response, God is graciously using us for his glorious purposes and he is pleased with us whether we see immediate results from our seed scattering or not. You know, the other thing that should encourage you is that you don't have to be a trained professional farmer to sow kingdom seeds, right? The kingdom message is simple to understand and it's simple to share. Okay, You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be Billy Graham to share the gospel. You're called to scatter kingdom seeds in whatever field that you live in. And you have the freedom and the confidence of knowing that you're not the one that makes the seed take root and grow and bear fruit. The Holy Spirit is. You see, it's not our job to determine whether someone's soil is ready for the seed. You know, we can't see into someone's heart. And, and people, people who don't uh, know Jesus, they don't have this you know, soil condition stamp on their forehead telling us what kind of soil they have, right? And sometimes, from our perspective, looks can be deceiving. What I mean by that is, is that sometimes a person who seems the most hostile towards the gospel is, can actually be closer to embracing it than those who seem more open to it. So be encouraged 
That's the Holy Spirit that is working through you. And be encouraged by the fact that kingdom seeds grow exponentially, okay? There's not a one-to-one ratio when it comes to seed production. You don't plant one seed and get one seed in return. You plant one seed and a plant grows, and that plant produces all these seeds. And then those seeds are planted, and they grow plants, and those plants produce seeds, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, think of this. You could be used to plant one little seed, and that seed down the line could have an enormous kingdom impact. I mean, I remember when I was in India, and part of our uh, ministry there, I was with Youth with a Mission, and part of our ministry is we would go into these, um, these Catholic schools and talk to the elementary kids. And I was up there talking to them one time, and this was a particularly ruly bunch of kids, okay? They were just really feisty. And I just remember standing up there and, and talking and thinking to myself, what, what am I doing? You know, are they even listening to me? Yeah, I, I'm trying to share the gospel I'm, to these kids, and, and I don't think they're even paying attention to me. I'm, I'm, it's like I'm wasting my time. And I think one of the Indian pastors who kind of sensed my discouragement, he came up to me and he said, he said, Tom, when you look out over, you know, over the class, you don't need to see 20 or 30 students. You need, to see, you need to see thousands of people. Because the Lord could use you this morning to plant one seed, and that seed could grow, and that, and that child could become the next Billy Graham of India. And you'll get back on your plane, you'll go back to America, and you'll never know. That's humbling, isn't it? I mean, I am convinced that we will be amazed by this in heaven. Because we, the Lord has used us to plant kingdom seeds in ways we never thought twice about, and people who we've since long forgotten about. And we'll give praise to God because of the fact that He has used us to enlarge His royal family. Do you have a vision for your role in spreading the kingdom seeds? Third thing I want to I want to talk about, and we'll be spending a little more time on this one, is let me ask you, do you possess kingdom soil? You know, many sermons and commentaries I read as I prepared for this morning said that this should really be called the parable of the soils instead of the parable of the sower. And, you know, quite frankly, since Jesus refers to it himself in verse 18 as the parable of the sower, I wasn't really ready to jump on that train and assert that along with them. but at the same time, here's the point that they're making because it's a good one. Their point is that the focus of the parable is the soils. The sower sows the seed, and the seed is ready to get growing. But what determines whether it takes fruit and grows and bears fruit is the type of soil that it falls on. I mean, let me ask you this. You know, why don't the Pharisees receive Jesus in his kingdom? I mean, it's certainly not because they hadn't been pelted with kingdom seeds, right? No, it's because those kingdom seeds have fallen on bad soil. It's the heart of the listener that's the issue. So let's talk about the different soils that Jesus uses in the parables. And, and it might be helpful for me before we jump into that. Let's just talk about sowing for a second, okay, in ancient Israel. I don't know if you know much about that. But one thing that you may not know is that in, in that time period, farmers would usually sow their seed and then they would plow which is kind of different than the way it goes now. And another thing is that the method they used was called broadcast sowing. And what that meant was you had a farmer 
in his field. He had this huge bag of seeds, right? And he would walk up and down his field and he'd grab a handful of seeds and he'd just scatter them. And he'd just scatter them like that in the different places. It's called broadcast sowing. And Jesus' listeners were familiar with this, right? So when he talks about the seed that falls on the path, he's talking about this path that's been worn in the, in the farmer's field. See, they don't have sidewalks in Israel, right? So if you had to get to a place over there and the field happened to be in your way, then you just walk through it. And eventually a path would be worn in the field. And as more and more people walk along the path, it get, the soil got more compact and harder and harder. So when the farmer came along and he was sowing his seed, the seed hit the soil. And because it was so hard, it couldn't penetrate it. And it wouldn't root. It didn't take root. And so the birds come down and they eat it up and devour it before it has a chance to take root and grow. Jesus tells us that people with this kind of soil are those that hear the kingdom message but don't understand it. And that Satan comes and snatches the kingdom seeds thrown in their heart before it has a chance to grow. Now, when Jesus says understand, he doesn't just simply mean comprehend. Like I said, the gospel message is, is simple enough for anyone to understand. What he means is the person is both unwilling and unable to claim and apply the gospel truth to his or her heart. See, it's the hardness of his heart which has made him unwilling and unable to embrace it. See, the Pharisees certainly understood what Jesus was saying. Okay, I mean, they didn't seek to put him to death because they were confused about the claims he was making about himself. It was their hard hearts that led them to embrace hatred and violence rather than the good news that Messiah had come. Now, not many of us know people who fit in the Pharisee category when it comes to hostility towards the gospel. But we all know folks whose hard hearts have made them deaf listeners. You know, maybe they're enslaved to a particular sin or sins and they just refuse to give that up. Or maybe their just cynicism has made their heart callous towards religion, as they might call it. Or, or maybe their arrogance has just simply blinded them to their need for the gospel. I mean, whatever the case, their hearts, like that path, are as hard as concrete and kingdom seeds just bounce off it like hail off the roof, off the hood of a car. And then Satan snatches it away before it has a chance to take root. Now, there's a couple I know that has this kind of soil. And I've shared the gospel with them many times. And they've even come and heard me preach a couple of times. But while they understand the gospel, they always politely reject it. And they're, they're baffled by the fact that an educated man like me could actually believe this stuff. Right? You ever heard that? And they're offended by the exclusive claims that Jesus is the only way to God. And they balk at my assertion that rather than being naturally good, human beings are fallen and sinful and under God's condemnation. You see, because they reject any God that would judge people and send them to a place like hell. In essence, they have chosen to cling to their elevated view of themselves and their personally fashioned worldview in the Christ, because our hearts are hard. The second kind of soil Jesus talks about is the rocky soil. 
And again, his listeners would have understood this. It's a farmer sowing his seed and scattering it. He throws it on the soil, and which is common in Israel is that there can be a layer of soil that's actually very shallow because there's a layer of rock underneath it. Okay? It's a common occurrence in Israel. So what happens is, is the plant sprouts up quickly, and it looks like a viable plant, but when the sun beats down on it, might it withers because it essentially has no roots. And Jesus tells us that this person with this kind of soil immediately receives the gospel with joy and may even endure for a time, but falls away when trials or persecution comes. Do you know anybody who has this kind of soil? You know, someone who after seeming to become a Christian is suddenly at every church event possible, is always there when the church doors are open, or maybe they become the youth group all-star, right? Or, or maybe you hear about how they're driving their friends and family, you know, nuts now because all they do when they come home is talk about Jesus and the Bible. You heard about, have you had people like that in your life? Someone who suddenly just becomes on fire for the Lord and then like a shooting star going across the sky, their flame goes out just as quickly as it seems to get lit. And the problem was is that their enthusiastic response is rooted in things more like emotion or a, or a selfish need rather than a true embracing of the gospel. You know, maybe they had hit rock bottom and they were desperate and they saw Christianity primarily as a quick fix to straighten out their life. Or, or maybe they were swimming in a sea of loneliness and rejection and they were attracted more by the love and acceptance that the Christian community extended to them than they were attracted to Jesus. Or, you know, maybe Jesus was just the latest fad that they decided to embrace until a new one came along. I mean, whatever the, the, the motive, because of their foundation, when things get difficult, people with this kind of soil fall away. Maybe they come face to face with the true demands of the cross. That the Christian life means self-denial and crucifying the flesh. Or maybe they become disillusions because their problems didn't magically disappear. And in fact, their life actually got more difficult. Or maybe they just realize that Christians aren't perfect, and as they leave, they blame it on the fact that the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, in, in other parts of the world, not really here, but in other parts of the world, it is persecution from families and governments that leads people with this kind of soil to abandon the faith. See, many people seem to believe the gospel and quickly show signs of true faith. But when the sun of testing comes, it's revealed that the plant that sprung up so quickly and showed so much promise, tragically, it's lacking the roots that it needed to survive. And so it withered before producing the enduring fruit of the kingdom of true faith. The third kind of soil that Jesus mentions is a thorny soil, right? This is the soil where, and it's not clear whether the thorns were above the ground or they might have been underneath the soil, but whatever the case, the farmer sows a seed, and as, as the plant sprouts up and tries to you know, take root and grow and mature, thorns grow up and choke the life out of the plant. And Jesus tells us that this person with this kind of soil seems to embrace the gospel, but because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, the seed and plant eventually get choked out before they bear any fruit. Now, the cares of this world refer to things, the weight of our trouble, 
our troubles and our needs in this life. Sometimes these kinds of thorns can appear suddenly and choke off life quickly, right? The shock and a sudden crisis of loss. I mean, how many of you know people who have fallen away from the faith after a sudden, unexpected death of a spouse or a loved one? These kinds of thorns can kind of blindside us and have devastating impact. And sometimes the thorns of the cares of the world, they develop more slowly and they gradually suck the life out of a plant, like the festering resentment between spouses that just keeps growing and is never addressed. Or the intensifying use of pornography in someone's life. These, these thorns, they grow so slowly that they're usually ignored until it's too late. It says that the plant can also be choked out by the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches. And riches, I'm going to throw in success along with it since we're in Loudoun County. Riches and success are deceitful because they promise what they can't ultimately deliver. They promise to provide security. They promise to bring contentment and joy. They promise to help us to make feel loved and accepted. They promise to give us a sense of purpose and meaning, right? And they may even seem to deliver on that promise for a time, but eventually the charade comes crashing down, right? Maybe a layoff or a market crash wipes out our security. We realize that instead of being content, we spend more time worrying about how we're going to keep what we have or getting more of what we have than actually experiencing joy. Or maybe we discover that people don't really love us, they just want to use us for the money we have or the position we hold. Or maybe we get to that top of the corporate ladder and we realize that our hearts were just as empty as when we were in the cubicle. And then we realize that our pursuit of riches and success has been slowly choking us. And before we know it, our last spiritual breath has come and gone. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having money. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with being successful. But when they distract you from loving and serving the Lord, and you put your trust in those things to provide for you what God should and can only truly provide, that's when they become empty, thorny, suffocating idols. Because reality is, is your investment portfolio might be sizable. Your possessions may be numerous. Your resume may impress the most experienced headhunter. While your spiritual bank account is bankrupt and fruitless. In sharp contrast to that, in the other two soils, Jesus is finishes that by talking about the good soil. See, this is the only soil that when the seed falls on it, it matures and produces grain, right? This soil is the person who both hears and understands the gospel. They hear, understand it, and apply it to their hearts and their lives. They are the only ones that bear fruit. And it's their yield that would have caught the attention of Jesus' listeners. Because, you know, in that time, a yield of tenfold was, was pretty good. I mean, that's what people shop for. But a a yield of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. See, and, and the point is, if you claim to be a Christian, the proof is that you're fruitful. That doesn't mean that every Christian has the same yield. We've all been given different gifts and talents and abilities. 
And it doesn't mean that every Christian will produce fruit at the same pace. I mean, no one matures spiritually at the same rate. But if you are truly a Christian, you can't help but bear fruit. Why? Because of your union with Christ. If you have truly believed the gospel, you have been spiritually united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And if you are united to Christ, you are a new creation. You have a new heart. And the kingdom seed that has been sown in that new heart will grow and bear fruit. Jesus speaks these things in John 15, verses 1 through 8. I don't know who has the clicker, but if we could get that on the screen, that would be great. Thank you. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he continues, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burn. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' words in John 15 are both an encouragement and a warning to us. It's an encouragement for those who are true believers in Christ, right? Because it assures us that we will produce fruit if we are truly united to him, if we're in the vine, that despite our struggles and our weaknesses and the sins that we fight against, we will be used to produce fruit. And it's also encouraging because it tells us that the fruit that we do see, however small, should be a source of assurance for us that we are in the vine. But at the same time, it's a warning to those who are not fruitful. It warns them that they are a branch that is not in the vine. They are not abiding in Christ and that they are a branch that will wither and eventually be thrown into the fire to be burned. So I finish this morning by asking you the most important question, and that is, what kind of heart soil do you have? Do you have the courage to ask yourself that question this morning? Do you have the guts to be your own fruit inspector? You know, for those who are here that have the heart soil, the hardened path, I, I urge you to embrace a place of repentance. And I pray that the Lord would soften your hard and resistant heart so that the seed would take root before it gets snatched away by Satan. And for those of you who are here who have the rocky soil, I urge you too to come to a place where you embrace repentance. And I pray for a true faith that is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ instead of an emotional response or a self-serving need. And for those of you who have the hard soil with thorns, I urge you to embrace repentance. Pray that Jesus will deliver you 
free you from whatever is choking you right now. So that the kingdom team can grow and mature in their faith. Finally, I speak to those who have the good soil of the kingdom. You who so beautifully show evidence of a new heart. You who are growing in your interest of spiritual things. You who are not the same person you once were before Jesus Christ. You who show evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Who take joy in serving your brothers and sisters. Who desire to be used to spread more and more kingdom seeds. You who at this very moment, as I go through this list, are thinking about how dissatisfied you are with your progress in all those areas that I just mentioned. It's to you that I say be encouraged. Because your fruit is evidence that your heart soil is good. I'd say be assured that you are truly united to Jesus the vine and be thankful for the fruit that the Lord is producing in you and will produce in you and ask Him to produce even more. I also encourage you to be broken. I encourage you to embrace repentance over how, though you have good kingdom soil, you still struggle with the characteristics of the other soils. And that this struggle has kept you from producing a more fruitful crop in your life. So there, I've called every single person in this room, including myself, to repentance. No matter what soil you have, everybody's covered. But what does that look like? Repentance means confessing that you've broken all of God's commands and you need His forgiveness. And believing that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law's demands on your behalf so that you may be seen as perfectly righteous before God. Repentance means admitting that your sins deserve eternal punishment from that God and believing that Jesus died on the cross and bore the fury of God's wrath so that you don't have to. Repentance means believing that Jesus conquered death and rose again from the grave so that you would not taste death forever, but will inherit eternal life. That's repentance. So I leave you with an invitation from the hymn called Come, Ye Sinners. And we've sang this here many times in this church. And again, if you could put it up on the screen, that'd be great. It says, Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. And no one in this room has been left out by that. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous. Not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to call. Brothers and sisters, that is the message of the gospel of the kingdom. That is the seed of the kingdom. Listen to the invitation of your sower king and come to him and possess the good soil that will produce an abundance of kingdom fruit. Please pray with me. Father, I, I, I don't know the hearts of those who are here today but I pray 
that there, if there are people here who do not know you, that even now you would be softening their hearts and drawing them to your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would change their hearts. And Father, I pray that if there are those here who believe that they are Christians and they are truly not, I pray that you would remove the veil from their eyes and show them the truth and also lead them down the path of repentance and embracing true faith. And Father, I pray for those who have embraced true faith. I pray, I pray that you would keep us humble and keep us dependent upon you and recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. And I pray that you would just produce more and more fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, and that we do it all to your glory because you alone are worthy of that glory in our faith. And I pray in the name of the one who shed his blood and gave his life in order that we could even bear kingdom fruit. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.